Thank you for joining me for this podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is A Cry for the Victims of Sexual Abuse. There is a full article of this podcast on our website. I would appeal to you to read it if you have the time. And if you are providing soul care for a person who has gone through sexual abuse, I really encourage you to read it. I also have other articles that are linked inside of this one. Sexual abuse, it does not resonate with everyone who hears about it. The reason is that sexual violence is not generally on our radars it's kind of like the, the abortion debate. Most people involved with the pro-life cause have a passion for it because they've had an abortion or they know someone who's had an abortion or they've counseled folks who have had abortions. People associated with sexual abuse, they're similar. They have experienced sexual abuse. They've had a family member or a friend violated this way or they've had experience caring for those who have suffered this devastating sin crime. And I call it a sin crime because it's both of those things. It's a heinous, one of the most heinous sins perpetrated on another human being, and it's also illegal. It is a crime, thank God, that you can do time and should do time if you commit this sin crime on another individual. In most cases, awareness and concern for sexual abuse are they're forced on our radars rather than something we voluntarily place in our sight lines. I mean, how many of us have intentionally said, I'm going to learn about the plight of those who have been victims of sexual crimes? I suspect that number is few. My point here is not to guilt you into giving mental space to sexual abuse. Sin is pandemic, and the manifestations of it are more than any one person can give their time, so I don't want you to feel guilt. I do want to elevate this idea. I imagine most of us think about it only when it comes across our Twitter feed or Facebook stream or whatever medium you have that you use when this sex sin crime is committed and then you hear about it and then it goes back into the shadows and we don't give that much time to it after the 24-hour, 48-hour news cycle. I'm not sure I would have been involved with the sexually abused if I did not do so care as a vocation. Before I was involved in the thick of this kind of abuse, the cares of my life preoccupied my mind. I get it. Their cries of silence did not reach my ears. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into my agenda. I'm merely giving voice to a large and growing and hidden demographic who have not had a voice within the Christian church, mostly because the effect of their abuse on them and the tone deafness of the church Victims of sexual abuse cry in the dark. They rarely have an advocate who will go to bat for them. And because of this, their suffering takes on more contours of darkness as the years pass. If nobody helps them, the complications of their victimization sets them up for a lifetime of misery. 
If I were to talk about the Penn State sexual abuse scandal, remember that? If I brought that to your attention, whose names come to your mind for those of you who are familiar with that abuse scandal? For most people, the top two names are Jerry Sandusky and Joe Paterno. Remember them. It's been a few years now, but if you remember anyone from that dark season in sports history, it's the perps, not the victims. And that's my point. If we know anything about what went on back then, we we know who did it. We don't know who it was done to. Now, I suspect few people know the names of the victims. I don't. I'm aware victims do not typically give their names, which only adds to the complicatedness of what happened to them. Though they did nothing wrong, there is an expected and self-imposed requirement for them to keep quiet. People don't like to hear about it, and of course the victims, it's devastating for them to talk about it. They don't talk about what happened to them because they don't want to be harassed by public scrutiny and misguided assumptions which so often accommodate, accompany this kind of situation. They don't talk about what happened to them because it's an inescapable nightmare. They wish they could be released. They are in a quandary. Paterno, the football coach, has since passed away, and Sandusky is serving prison time. Their names are a blight on Penn State football, but for the most part, their participation in the crimes of the victims is nothing more than a byline in history. They are yesterday's news, but the ongoing nightmare for the sexually abused is that a verdict in a court of law does not remove their pain and suffering. Their plight is more profound and far more complicated than a gavel slamming down on a piece of wood. In an acute and practical sense, they are always in continual captivity by their abusers, even after their abusers pass away. It is a kind of residual captivation forced upon them against their wills. It's a battle for their minds that they have to live with all of their lives. Though criminals left the scene of the crime years ago, the imprint left on the mind of the abused is a recurring reminder. I genuinely feel the burdens of those who have been victimized by sexual sin. I've sat across from moms who hopelessly persevered as their daughters writhe in unimaginable emotional upheavals because of what happened to them. I've come alongside young women who were abused by the authority figures in their life, and yes, I'm talking about, in many of those cases, church leaders. The inability for them to trust again is a bridge too far. The shadow of fear darts in and out of their lives for no explicable reason. The shame they carry and the blame they cast upon themselves can drive them to utter despair. It's this same shame that keeps the victims from saying anything to anyone. 
They dare not let anyone know what is churning inside of them. Their hurt and shame tend to turn into shades of bitterness, anger, irrational behavior. The perps ensnare the victims entirely by the crime committed. What they need more than anything else is for the Christian community to come alongside them, to help them to think biblically about this nightmare of their souls. They need the gospel of hope. The primary item for consolation that you want to bring to the victim is the gospel because it is full of hope. More than anything else, the victim needs to hear about the love of God as seen in our sympathizing Savior. You read about that in Hebrews 4, where the writer said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time in need. But the problem is, is that they can't draw near with confidence. They rarely do because they are effect, affected so profoundly. Christ is the answer, quote, end quote. It's more than bumper sticker theology, though it could more than likely ring flat to someone who is experiencing sexual abuse. What they have experienced is, is about as far as a person can be positioned from the gospel. The good news of Jesus is about reconciliation, hope, love, peace, unity, and grace. None of these concepts are within the frame of reference of the abused. They are under the control of another language. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Abused individuals are a compassionate and patient challenge to bring care to because of their torment. They're wrestling with erratic thoughts. Many of them lose hope and choose to give their bodies up to a life of sexual activity. They resign themselves to the perps, to the perps lie, which can sound like this. You're not worthy of any kind of life. And so they resign themselves and give themselves up to that life. When hope is gone, there is a resignation that can open the door to all kinds of ungodly behavior. The careful friend is not shocked or controlled by what they observe from the victims. Your gaze goes beyond what you see while dialing into who they are, a person made in the image of God. The more practically you exegete, measure, and discern their hearts, the more you'll perceive the pain they carry, which motivates their actions I've counseled dozens of women caught in the trap of sexual abuse. Some of them gave themselves over to vileness because that is all they knew to do. They honestly did not know any other way. It's such a distortion that happens to them by someone else. It became their habit. It was something that they could control, giving themselves up this way, submitting their lives over to the management of another, even if it was God was out of the question. Being in control 
rather than ceding it to someone else was the safest, and I put that in quotation marks, it was the safest life for the abused to live. It might not make sense to you why they would give their life up that way, but it did give them a measure of control. Other victims pursued other things, but always operating within their struggles, their ability to be in control at all times. What they did, whether right or wrong, was not the issue. Being out of control was the challenge that they defied. They didn't want to be out of control again, and so they did what came easy. Doing anything well was their way of feeling better about themselves as well as protecting themselves from more disappointment by submitting to anyone else, regardless if that person was a a kind and gentle caregiver. Still, others could not find anything that they could do well, so they gave up on life. There was no form of encouragement in their world, which is why the gospel becomes essential to these victims. They need to find hope outside of themselves and outside of what happened to them. They need an introduction, or for some of them, they need a reintroduction to the Lord. And the reintroduction part is, well, it can be so complicated, especially if they were abused within the church. You're asking them to come back to the person, God, And it was in that context of church and religion and spirituality and submitting to leadership that they were abused. They need to experience the free expressions of the Father's love through the unconditionality of a relationship not based on personal merit. You know the text, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. You want them to experience God's lavish grace if someone has sexually abused you. It's critical for you to know that God loves you, period. His love does not require anything from you except faith. Will you trust him? You do not have to earn his love, which releases you from the fear of ever ruining your relationship with him. You cannot ruin your relationship with God because it's not based on your works. He loves you through Christ, the perfect one. And if you've placed your faith in the perfect one, God loves you perfectly without condition. What has happened to you does not alter or diffuse his love for you. God's accepting favor is not about what you have done or what someone has done to you. God's grace has broad borders, which encompasses the abuse. Yes, there is grace to help you overcome the violence of others. God has a plan for redemption God has a plan for restoration. God's love is different from anything you have ever experienced. There is a place for you within the family of God. He came for the hurting, the afflicted, the alienated. You may feel disconnected from the body of Christ, but be assured there is nothing, and I do mean nothing, 
that can detach you from the love of God. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Let me personalize it. Who is interceding for you? God wants to restore your dignity that he initially gave to humanity before sin entered into the world. He can accomplish this in your life. You are experiencing brokenness now, but the gospel of hope is your peace. He will restore you to a new life, which is free from the darkness and pain of your soul. Jeremiah 31:25 says, "For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish." As he restores his love fully in your heart, you will be able to live in authentic freedom. It's a freedom that releases you from the control of the former perpetrators in your life. Though they may never come to you and ask for forgiveness, you will be okay. Being rightly connected with God is the perfect plan to be disconnected from the mental and emotional control of others who have exerted their way over you. Basking while enjoying the pleasure of God's love is what awaits for you. This new lifestyle is the way of Jesus. It's the way that he lived on earth. He entirely rested and rejoiced in the Father's pleasure. In Mark 1.11, it says, A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Well, that is every Christian's experience. Because when God looks upon you, he sees the Son, and he has full, absolute, 100%, genuine, authentic, sincere pleasure in his Son. And when you become a believer, you are united with Christ. You now have his alien righteousness, not his work, not your works, rather, but his works. And so God sees the Son. That's how he thinks about you. And so you can legitimately apply Mark 111 to your life. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son or you are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. God is well pleased with you. Now, perhaps you are not a Christian. Maybe you have not been regenerated by the power of the gospel or what we say you have not been born again. In John 3, verse 7, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he said, You must be born again. And if you have not been born again at this point, there is, I, I just want to share with you, there is great hope for you. You can come into the family of God, and you will be loved immensely and never rejected. If you want to know more about that, how to become a Christian, if that is unfamiliar language for you or if that, too, seems like a bridge too far, would you write our ministry? We would be careful to carefully walk you through how to become 
a part of God's family. He will adopt you into his family, and you will have many brothers and sisters who would love to love you in the way that God wants you to experience his favor on your life. His experience, Jesus' experience with the Father, was the reason that he could pray on the cross for the forgiveness of those who persecuted him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had that kind of power and that kind of understanding and that kind of freedom to where he could even pray for those who had hurt him. As you continue to move toward this kind of relationship with your Heavenly Father, there will come a time when you will be able to release those who have sinned against you. But please understand, as it pertains to forgiveness, your freedom does not mean they will ever be forgiven or free. Criminals can only find forgiveness when they genuinely seek it from God and from you. But their lack of repentance... Their lack of asking you for forgiveness, it doesn't stop you from forgiving them just like the Savior did. What I'm talking about here is attitudinal forgiveness. Attitudinal forgiveness releases them or releases you from them and from their sin. What I'm saying here is that you can forgive them in your heart. The attitudinal forgiveness or forgiving them in your heart the way that Jesus did on the cross in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That does not mean that God forgave all of those people who were standing around the cross or that he forgave the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean that at all. But what we see is the heart of the Savior attitudinally willing to release them in his heart. Christians can do that. You see this kind of heart in Joseph in chapter in Genesis chapter 50, verse number 20. He said this to his brothers who perpetrated all kinds of evil against them. Here's the verse. As for you, Joseph said, you meant evil against me as he was talking to his brothers, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive this day or kept alive as they are this day. Joseph had sovereign clarity on what happened to him. He understood on the ground level that his brothers were mean, harsh, cruel, unkind. It was real. It was painful. And he had to suffer through it all. But he lived in the parallel Though he experienced and understood what happened to him on the horizontal level, on the ground level, he also understood that God was working a greater plan in his life. And because of that, he was able to forgive his brothers attitudinally long before they ever showed up in Egypt. He had already forgiven his brothers in his heart before they came to him. Joseph was a free man in Egypt. God is calling you to that kind of freedom, too. Think about this for just a moment. Joseph was a free man while in prison in Egypt. His brothers were in bondage while in freedom in Israel. It could be, if you have been abused, that you are captivated and you are in prison because of what others have done to you, just like Joseph's brothers did to him. But Joseph learned how to be free even while in prison because of his sovereign clarity His brothers were in prison, even though 
they were free in Israel. And because of this great work that God did in Joseph's heart, he was able to release them in his heart. And again, that does not forgive them transactionally because they are not asking, but you don't want to be captivated by what they did to you. In Galatians 5, 1, it says, for freedom, this is Paul talking, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is what Christ does for us. You can be free too. I want to make one final appeal to the victims. I remember when I first began to counsel others. It was a weird world for me, and I was working well beyond my pay grade. I was over my head and had no clue how to counsel anyone about anything. And I truly understand the challenge of counseling others, especially if it's a new endeavor for anyone. And I'm calling counseling discipleship because that's what it is. And it's hard to disciple another human being if you have never done it before or if you haven't been doing it long. And that's why I don't uncharitably judge people who do not know how to think biblically about the victims of abuse. I mean, who wants to go there? That is a hard thing. Our first response, I think, is to pass them off to someone else. I certainly didn't want to go there. It was the deep end of the pool, and I was not equipped to swim that way. So I understand when people try to skirt the issue or avoid the issue. But for reasons that I'm not entirely aware, the Lord placed me there in the deep end. And I'm grateful that he did. I would never take it back. I would never take it back. I've had some of my best and most pleasurable experiences coming along those who have hurt the most profoundly. My appeal to you is to give some thought to how you can help those who have been victimized by others. If there is someone in your church that has been victimized, do not avoid them. Do not treat them like a third-class citizen, like a spare tire in the trunk. Do not alienate them. Our ministry offers a safe place for victims of sin, as well as a place for those who want to be equipped to help these victims. Mercifully, there are times when these victims become the equippers for the fame of God. It is an amazing thing that God totally flips the narrative of their lives, similar to Joseph the one who was captivated, the one who was in prison as he gained sovereign clarity on the crimes and the sins that had happened to him. The narrative was flipped and Joseph became the quote, end quote, savior to so many people. You can or God can use what happened to you in a redemptive way. My most urgent appeal, though, is to anyone who knows about the abuse of someone, do not be silent. Be Christ to these victims. You may not know how to help them, but you have to say something. Minimally, you must let others know. You cannot allow their cries to go unheard or unheeded. It would be a double harshness, a triple unkindness, based on what has already happened to them for you to do nothing. You would be culpable if you did not speak out against sexual abuse. 
if your leadership of the church tries to hide it or does not call the authorities or do not bring the proper people in, into the situation to bring restitution and rectification to the situation, then do not be silent. You have no responsibility whatsoever to obey any leadership who tries to be quiet on sexual abuse. Scream loud. Scream for the victims of this. If you need help on how to help someone, please come to our ministry. It is what we do, and it would be a joy to be able to come alongside you to give you advice to help you. We have a two-year training program where we train individuals in how to bring soul care, not just for sexual abuse, but to do discipleship well within God's church. And if you want that advanced training, we would love to consider you as one of our students. But you can come to our forums. We have free public forums where you can ask any question that you want. We have private forums for our supporting members, and we would love for you to come there. I cannot make my appeal any stronger. There is so much that's problematic with this idea of abuse and God wants his children to step up and to speak into it and to be competent caregivers. I have other links here in this article. Again, the title of the article is A Cry for the Victims of Sexual Abuse. One of those and probably the most popular article on our website is Eight Signs of Spiritual Abuse. I would encourage you to read it. I have two other articles linked here listening to Sexual Abuse Part 1 and Part 2. I would encourage you to read it as well. And again, if we can help you with any questions, it would be our privilege. It would be our joy. We want to do that. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, A Cry for the Victims of Sexual Abuse. God bless. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.